Good evening and a very, very warm welcome to you all on a cold, dark and soggy evening. It's great that you've uh, been able to join us this evening. Uh, if you're new or if you're visiting, uh, please do uh, make a point of uh, having a chat with, uh, with Colin or me or with Neil uh, at some point after the service. It'd be great to get to know you uh, a little bit better. This evening, Colin's going to be starting for us a new series looking at the foundations of our faith. What are the core underpinnings of who we are and why we are as Christians? And he's going to be digging into six of the big truths, uh, helping us understand how it is that we came to Christ and what God has done for us in and through the Lord Jesus. And Colin's going to be opening up the series this evening, looking at the topic of sin. Uh, looking at how it leads to death, uh, how it blinds us, and how it enslaves us. And then those amazing words, but God, uh, through his mercy, uh, has made us alive. Now, rather than this being an evening where you buckle in and you enjoy the ride, uh, there will be a Q&A session um, after the talk. That's not us asking you questions. You'll be glad to hear. It's the other way around. Uh, there'll be a roaming mic. Uh, and you'll be able to uh, ask questions of, uh, of Colin, um, any questions that you have. It's a very friendly environment, so please do take uh, that opportunity uh, to ask any questions that you have. However, before we start, uh, let's just take a moment to, to quieten uh, our own hearts. And let's be mindful of the truth that we've gathered here this evening to worship uh, the one true living God. So take a moment of silence now, perhaps close your eyes, uh, to bring yourself before God, and I'll pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us uh, together here this evening. Uh, we pray that uh, you would meet us uh, by your spirit and through your word. Uh, Father, I pray that you would ready us for that. Unstop our ears, soften our hearts. And I pray, quicken our minds. I'll be at work shaping us to be like your son. And might our worship of you this evening be a fragrant offering rising up before you. Amen. Uh, the psalmist in Psalm 103 uh, tells us this amazing truth. He says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Ah, amen, amen to that. So sin is humanity's greatest uh, problem, uh, the thing that lies underneath our broken relationship with God. And scripture tells us uh, that God put his full weight of love into dealing with our problem of sin. And that's achieved by the removal of the effect of our transgressions. Our transgressions are removed as far as the east is from the west. And years later, the psalmist and us, we know how that was achieved through the saving work of the Lord Jesus uh, on the cross uh, for us. The one who is truly righteous at dying for us, the unrighteous. Him making it possible for us to enter the throne room of grace. But before Colin does come to speak, uh, Phil's going to lead us in our prayers, and then Thelma will bring us uh, our reading from Ephesians chapter 2. So, Phil. We're going to have a short time of prayer together.
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you want us to talk to you, that you hear our prayers and are a powerful God, a God who's more than powerful to answer our prayers according to your will. And we bring these things before you tonight, confident in this. Father, as we look at the doctrine of sin this evening, we ask that we'd be people who are truly sorry for our failure to live as you call us to live. And we pray that we would be people who are quick to repent. We'll have some silence now, a couple of minutes, uh, to give us time in our own hearts to confess ways in which we failed to live God's way this week. We thank you that you are a faithful God and a just God and will forgive us our sins if we confess them. We pray for Ukraine, a country where people are probably fearing war and bloodshed as they go to bed tonight. And we pray for peace and stability and for no war to break out there. We, we pray for the thwarting of, of plans to create war. And we remember particularly your people, Christians who live there, that they would trust in your power and your protection and your promises um, tonight and this week. We pray particularly for the church leaders there, that they would have wisdom in knowing how to advise their church members at this time. And we ask that your church would continue to grow in that country uh, despite this threat of war. We remember those in our church family tonight who are caring for elderly or sick relatives. Father, we thank you for the engagement and visibility that our church has with our community here in Long Crendon. And we thank you for the different local organizations and the people who regularly use our building. We ask that everyone who comes into this building would be prompted to think about why we serve our community and be prompted to think about the Lord Jesus who first served us. Our reading is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thank you, Thelma. Let's just uh, take a moment to ask for God's help as we pray together. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, we do uh, ask for your help, Lord, without it. We can do nothing. We pray that you would help us by your spirit to receive your word and to see the, the, the darkness of our hearts, but the glory of God. 
We pray that you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder what you think of yourselves. What kind of person do you think you are? I wonder how you might answer that. I wonder how your friends, your colleagues, your family members, your neighbors might answer that. Sometimes we think, you know, we're not that bad. Maybe even at times we think, you know, gosh, I think, I think God's, he, he's quite fortunate to have me actually. We have such a high view of ourselves that we forget who we really are. Because people are capable of such wonderful and good things. You think of some artwork, some amazing artwork, some scientific breakthroughs, for example, the, the COVID vaccine and the developments in things like nuclear fusion. People can do such amazing things and such good things. And yet at the same time, people are capable of such evil. We look through history and we see it. We look today at the border between Russia and Ukraine. But we also look nearer to home as we think of our own hearts. We reflect on our own sinful responses, even this past week. But when we, think of, when we speak about sin, when we think about sin, people don't like to talk about it. Instead, people will often speak in terms of illnesses or education. And whilst many people do need to learn more, need to be better educated in certain areas, and some do have legitimate mental health issues, we are still individually responsible and accountable for what we do. As our biggest problem is not a horizontal one with other people, but a vertical one with God, our creator. This evening, as Saab mentioned, we're going through a new series called Foundations of Faith. We're looking at the first three parts on consecutive Sunday evenings, and then we'll look at the next three after Easter. The first three, as you see on the left-hand side, we'll look at sin this evening, our need of God. Then we'll look at new birth, understanding new life in that way. And then we'll look at the cross and how Christ redeems his people. After Easter, we'll look at uh, election and then uh, perseverance in the Christian life uh, before concluding by looking at God's care in both the good and the bad in our lives as we think about God's providence. These truths are hugely challenging, but they are wonderfully glorious at the very same time. As we think about who God is, who we are, and how he works in our lives for our good and for his glory. Knowing and believing these truths should affect our hearts as we live joy-filled and glorious lives for the glory of God. Looking at the first topic of sin as we see there, we'll see that actually we're not the good people that we might often think we are. As we'll discover, the effects of sin in our lives are total. They affect every part of us. And therefore, we desperately need God to save us. As we are dead in sin, we're blind in sin, and we're slaves to sin. We're dead, we're blind, and we're enslaved to sin. 
So firstly, we are dead in sin. Talking about sin to others, it feels quite jarring at times. It can almost be an alien concept. People don't quite know how to receive it, how to talk about it. And yet at the very same time, whilst people might push back against speaking about sin, there is no greater evidence in the world than the doctrine of sin. As our problem today is not a lack of education or understanding or insight, but our own sinful hearts. The Bible speaks about this in Ephesians. From Ephesians 1, as Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he also speaks to us by his spirit, saying this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. He speaks to the Romans in chapter 3 of Romans, saying that none are good, no, not one. It's not that we're good people and occasionally slip up. It's not that we sin, therefore we're sinners. But as we heard earlier, we are sinners. And therefore, out of that heart, we sin against others and against the Lord. We're born into it. And we live in it. That is who we are. Because of one act of rebellion in the garden by one man, now are all born into sin and we become rebels of God. This way of understanding sin is often referred to as total depravity. Total depravity doesn't mean that everything in us is wrong, as we are still made in the image of God and, as we heard, capable of good things. But we are spiritually dead. We're like spiritual zombies. Therefore, we're unable to respond to the offer of salvation. We can't respond because without Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit, we're dead in our sins. When it comes to salvation, I wonder if you've ever heard this story or this illustration. That we are lost at sea, that we are crying out for help. And it's as if God might come along in a life raft and he would then throw a rope to us. As he does so, he then pulls us to safety. We're saved as we reach out and grab the rope. But the only problem with the illustration is that we are dead in our sins. And dead men don't grab. A more accurate illustration might be of us being spiritually dead corpses floating in the water and along comes a helicopter the helicopter comes to where where we are floats over the top the door of the helicopter opens and a diver jumps out into the dark sea of our sin he swims to us he wraps the rope around us and we're winched to salvation We are saved as it is the whole work of God in salvation as he dives down into our sin to save us. That's because of our status before the Lord, which go all the way back to the garden. And then it, it speaks about this in Genesis 6. It says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. This verse really vividly explains why we are where we are in the world 
today. It is the wickedness of the human heart. The impact of the fall in Genesis 3 is so powerful that it means that we are alienated from God and it affects not only our relationship with him, but with others and even creation itself. As it says in Romans 8, creation groans. And now we are at enmity with God. We're not friends with him, but we are his enemies. In the beginning, God created all things. He created us in his image and he declared peace to us. But we declared war with him. Our problem today is not that we don't have a relationship with God. It's that we do have a relationship with him. And he is angry at us because of our rebellion and rejection of him. Therefore, our biggest problem is God himself. We need God to save us from God. We have declared independence from him and made ourselves Lord and King in defiance of him. As we are not only dead in sin, but we're also blind in it. Our deadness in sin is compounded by our spiritual blindness. As Paul goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 2, into verse 2, from verse 1 he says, As you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Perhaps a couple of questions flow out of this. Well, who is the ruler of the kingdom of the air? And who is the spirit that is at work in those who are disobedient? The answer is clear. It is Satan. He is the one who is at work in those who are disobedient. Satan is described as a liar and a deceiver. He is the one that, that blinds us, blinds us from seeing the glory of God. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, the God of this age, that is Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It's interesting when you come to the, to the New Testament, when you come to the gospels, when you read through the Gospels, there are 47 mentions of being blind. The Lord Jesus came to rebuke the blind religious leaders. And he brings sight to those who are spiritually blind. All this because of the lie that, that Eve believed. That where Adam was supposed to lead his wife, Satan distorted the creation order and comes to Eve speaking lies to her and says... You won't, you won't die if you eat the fruit, but you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The lie of Satan is the lie that all of us believe when we turn from God and turn to sin. We think that in, in actuality that God is the problem and that we are the solution. As we think we, we might know best. We believe that any restrictions, any, any laws placed upon us, well, they are oppressive. And they deprive us of true life in that way. Because ultimately we want to rule our own lives. As we listen to the subtle lies of Satan, which say, well, God doesn't really want your good. No, he's a killjoy. But as we all know far too well, 
Sin promises everything and delivers nothing. It never satisfies. It fractures our relationships with others. It weakens our relationship with God. And it robs us of any joy and peace that only the Lord himself brings. It's the lie that you'll find more comfort in everything else other than God. More comfort in food, more comfort in alcohol, in gambling, in online shopping than any relationship with the Lord Jesus. It's the lie that to cut someone down with your words will make you feel better. The lie that there's no harm in flirting with someone that's not your wife or lusting after someone either online or in person. It's the lie that in the moments of loneliness that you have, that God has abandoned you, that he just doesn't care about you anymore. Satan makes God to be a tyrant. He makes him out to be a dictator. And therefore we refuse to come to him and have peace, but seek our own ways, which rob us of that. As the effects of sin not only make us spiritually dead and blind, but they also enslave us. As we are slaves to sin. We desperately need God as there is no good in us. As God says, uh, the Lord says to, uh, to us through the Apostle Paul's words in verse 3 of Ephesians 2. All of us, that is, all of us, all those people there also lived among them, there's the pagans at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. These are hard words to listen to. We are rebels of God and therefore by nature deserving of his judgment, his wrath. As God is angry at us, as We don't love God by nature. We hate him. As Jesus says in John 3, 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness. Instead of light, they chose that. People love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Such is our hatred of God by nature that as Tim Chester says, We'd rather go to hell than choose Jesus Christ. We're not bound against our will. We we do what we want to do most. People make free choices. But the choices we make are by nature bent away from the Lord. And this was the argument that Martin Luther had with Erasmus at the Reformation. And it's the argument that continues today. The 18th century pastor theologian Jonathan Edwards it speaks about it in two ways. He says there are two terms. There's natural ability and moral ability. Natural ability is the ability to make real decisions. And moral ability is the ability to choose between good and bad, between right and wrong. Before the, the fall, we had both the natural and the moral ability to choose between right and wrong. But now, because, the, because of the fall, sin affects our lives so much that moral ability has become an inability. Because we're not free men and women able to choose God, but we are enslaved to our cravings and our desires of the flesh. And just as Jesus says in John 8, 
Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Because the effects of sin are so powerful and pervasive that every part of us is impacted by it. Our minds, our hearts, and our wills are in bondage to it. Even the good that we do is done for the wrong reason. And therefore, we desperately need God to save us and to draw, draw us to himself. As Jesus says in John 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. We need God to save us from the just punishment that our sins deserve. And that's why as we share the gospel, as we speak of the gospel, as we listen to things about the gospel, we need to listen to the full thing and not half gospels or false gospels. As the gospel is not a way to unleash the potential from within us. The problem is within us. Jesus Christ hasn't come to make us feel good about ourselves. As it's not that we should in some way feel guilty. It's that we are guilty. It's not that we need a fresh start because our lives are going in the wrong direction. It's not that we need to, to live more moral lives. Jesus didn't come to be our example. He came to be our saviour. And having said all that, we're not as bad as we could be because people are made in the image of God and God shows his goodness in a general way to all people. However, as Martin Luther says, sin is life turned in on itself. Even the good things that we do aren't done for the right reasons. They're done to display our own righteousness to others. The good that we do has the wrong motives and the bad that we do displays what's in our hearts. Therefore, we need help. And as you look from verse 4 and onwards, that is what we see. As you see the word, but. But God. God intervenes as we read from verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God intervenes for us by sending his son to die in our place. Because of what? Because of his great love for us. Because of his rich mercy. He made us alive even when we were dead. God raised us up to new life. He displayed his saving grace to us. That, his, that is his undeserved generosity. Not only giving us the opposite of what we deserve. But as we heard this morning. Giving us far, far 
far more than we could ever deserve. And why has he done this? Why has he saved me? Why has he saved you from your sins if you're trusting in Jesus Christ tonight? As you look at verse 7 there, he saved me in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Because from start to finish, we were dead in sin. But God saved me, saved you, if you're trusting in him, by his amazing grace, his kindness, and his love. Because we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. And so as we reflect on our own hearts, we have to ask the question, well, why am I a Christian? Why am I a Christian tonight? And the only answer is because of his grace, his kindness, and his love. Because God loves me. Not because of anything in me, but because he loves me. So how should this practically impact and shape our hearts? Well, ultimately, it should give us a humble and a gracious heart. As we heard this morning, grace, grace, grace should be the posture of our hearts. If we've been wronged by someone, if we are misunderstood by someone, our response should be that of grace. As God doesn't give us what, is, what we deserve, but instead he forgives us and lavishes his grace upon us day after day. And therefore we can show that grace in a supernatural way to other people. Because they don't deserve it and neither do we. Nor do we have to get frustrated with people perhaps who are not Christians, who are living immoral lives. As they are dead in their sins just as we, are, we were. And so it is the Lord that opens their eyes. So we should pray for them that the Lord would have mercy on them as he has on us. Secondly, it should make us people who are dependent on God. Jesus said that apart from him, we can do nothing. Therefore, our lives should be marked by a, a dependence on him. We should be people of prayer, gentleness, servant-hearted people as we live Christ-centered and spirit-dependent lives. And to have spiritual, spiritually dependent lives, we, we want to have strong spiritual habits, which are being in the Word daily, setting, aside, setting time aside to pray, and gathering as God's people to worship together. And all this as we recognize our need of God, and reflect on the incompatible riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in the Lord Jesus. Perhaps for some of you, that might not be the case, that you have yet to trust in him and receive his love, his kindness, his mercy, his grace. This evening is as good an opportunity as ever to come to Jesus Christ and be saved to receive his love 
and kindness. Maybe we are Christians and we've been walking with them closely for many years. May this be fuel for our hearts as we delight in what he has done for us by his grace, his love, his kindness, and his mercy. Let me leave a moment of quiet and then I'll pray for us. Lord God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for your amazing grace to us. We don't deserve anything. We deserve nothing but your wrath. But you have shown your love, your kindness, and your grace to us by sending your Son to die for us. Lord, we thank you for that. We pray that you would help us to to live lives which are shaped by that, shaped by your grace and your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite Colin to come up. Stand by the podium. And we have a roaming mic for questions from the floor for Colin. Uh, They can be on uh, what he presented uh, this evening or on a a theological question that you have, a practical question. A life application question that you have. Preferably um, on this evening. Sorry? <laughs> Preferably on this evening. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Not, all, uh, not so, everything. So, yeah, so, yeah on, on the question of sin. For the, yeah, thank you. Uh, Thanks, so yeah. if you have a question, uh, please do raise your hand and I'll bring uh, the mic and the tech desk upstairs. We'll make sure your question is heard. You, okay, you started talking at the beginning about how hard it is to talk about sin and I actually think just in our generation it's become Hmm. harder and harder we live in an age where people don't even want to admit they've done things wrong Um, how do we as Christians contend with that change Uh, how do we we start our conversation I listen to a lot of people doing that justification of you know if there is a God we measured okay but it's that how do you then move into we are sinful I think um, uh, Rico, Rico Tice speaks about it going through the pain barrier and there is an aspect of that um, on Friday night, actually I meet with my neighbours to have a drink each Friday night and they were talking about things and you mentioned sin and all of a sudden the voices go down um, but there is, an, there is, I suppose it's just pray, asking the Lord to give you the strength, the boldness to speak on things which are unpopular um, which are, you, you know they might be received badly, but if you love them well enough, you'll speak about them um, in the right setting with love. Yeah. I think, it's, I think it starts with prayer, really. Maybe, um, well, maybe quite good, just maybe uh, uh, with this person beside you, maybe something that struck you or something that you weren't sure about, maybe just have a chat for a minute or two. I know Chris is already in it. He's in it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> This may not come across particularly well because I'm still... Be be gracious, Chris. (laughs) I'm still still formulating the question or the point in my own thinking. And I have to say that the sort of preaching um, you've uh, treated us to tonight, Colin, always makes me feel slightly uncomfortable. Not that I disagree theologically uh, with anything you've preached. I know I have enough sufficient faith in this church to know that we will hear biblical truth. Yeah. But what I what I bother about 
What I am concerned about is, is not this type of preaching by its very nature exclusionary? If, I don't know whether that's a proper word. Yes, it is. Um, it's putting up a barrier to the very people who need to know about the grace of God yeah. and what Christ has done. And I suppose it, what I would, how I'd respond to that is Ephesians 2. As you read through Ephesians 2, there is, a, there is two parts of Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 10. But the first three parts, if you don't speak about that, then the grace of God means nothing. Um, that if you say, yeah, you know, just come to Jesus, it'll be good, things will work well for you, that's not enough. You need to say, this is what Jesus has done for you, because this is who you are. And that is uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable. But it's true, because that's what it says in the Word. And so we need to, to, to hold our own feet to the fire before we then hold other people's feet to the fire, that we would be able to, to affirm the truth of what God says. And so there are times, I mean, I, I wouldn't go guns blazing uh, with, uh, we're all under the wrath of God and here we go. But, but there would be times where you do need to speak about judgment. You do need to speak about hell. You do need to speak about the wrath of God. Um, there are times where I've mentioned this with people and they walk away. Jesus did that. Um, so I think it's speaking with love to people. You know, it breaks your heart when they, when they don't want to listen to you. But you pray that they would, because it's God who opens their eyes. It's he who brings us from death to life. It is by grace, not by anything that we've done. Um, I think the challenge is that people think there is something in themselves, that there is some sort of goodness in them. There is some, something that they've done, but there's nothing that we've done. And I suppose it's for our own hearts before we minister to anyone else that we would know that in our in the deepness in the depth of our own hearts um, that that would shape us that our Lord our love for the Lord would be you know immense. Uh, it was something that just struck me in the video um, when the the guy talked about um, a poor picture of um, sin being like missing the mark going off to one side. That's yeah. almost pointing in the wrong direction. Um, but the, the fact that it's about falling short, it's, about, it's almost like you're trying to throw a tissue paper at a target that's over there and it's just going nowhere. Um, just wonder what your thoughts are on that. Um, yeah, he's, he's citing uh, Romans 3. Um, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And I think, uh, I mean, I haven't studied Greek, but I believe it is the, in the Greek, it's that sense of falling short of the, of the target. That's why you're using the the archery um, analogy because it is that we are trying to, you know, in our own righteousness, reach the mark but we never do. We can never do. And that is um, the gospel that comes to us, which is amazing. There's absolutely, sorry, there's absolutely no um, good within us whatsoever that any of our Saving, saving goodness now. Saving goodness. Um, I wonder how you, how you understand Romans 2, um, 15, <clears throat> where Paul's talking about um, people who are not believers. Yep. And it says that they show the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, yep. their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them yep. and at other times even offend, defending them. Um, Which verses are you looking at, sorry? Uh, sorry, it's 15. Okay. Um, and he says, this will take place on the day when God ju- 
God judges people's secrets through Christ Jesus and my gospel. It seems to me that, yep. um, <clears throat> that there are things, and because we're made in God's image, yes. there is, seems to me, still something which is good within us yeah. from these verses. But good. you appear to be saying that there isn't. Well, um, there is a sense in which there's benevolent goodness in us. So that element um, that there is, we are made in the image of God and that God in his common, what would be common grace, uh, shows goodness to all people. Um, so the rain falls on the, on the just and the unjust. And so there is a sense in which God um, shows goodness, both as we are made in his image and his common grace to us. These verses, um, I, haven't, I haven't thought of these verses in this t- context before, um, in terms of salvation but in terms of you know so in a sense there's a that common grace you know your your colleagues who are non-believers do a lot of good you know they they're very good uh, in the sense of um, achieving many good things um, but it does come back to down to the heart you know what is our heart for doing those things um, mm. the, just that, the, it's, sorry sorry it's, it's, it's just that you appear to be saying that um, even the good things that we appear to do yes. are done with bad motives. Yes, yes. I would, I would, so even I, that is rotten. Yeah, I would cite um, Isaiah, which says our, our righteous deeds are filthy rags. Um, can't remember the chapter, but uh, it is that even the good that we try and do is done out of the wrong motives without the saving grace of God because we're dead in our sins. Um, so that those people who, again, those people you think of colleagues or people that you know who do a lot of good, give to charity, work for charity, whatever they might do, they do those things, but they don't do them for the glory of God, and that's the that's the, the point. Um, um, so that, that's in a sense of goodness, but in terms of salvation, um, it's the work of the Lord, really. Um, it was just the goodness the, rather than the salvation. The, the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, consciences, you know. Um, again, you go back to the colleague who's not a believer. Their conscience holds them back from doing certain things. And they say, well, I don't believe in God. I'm like, well, God's given you a conscience. <laughs> so it restrains you from doing things that you know you shouldn't do, even though they're not Christians. Thank you. I'm glad that this church believes in the doctrine as a second chance <laughs> in terms of my questions. Um, people are, as we've seen in, throughout the Gospels, Yeah. People of all sorts and diverse conditions, uh, and we see it in our own day today, hmm. are attracted by the person of Jesus. Yeah. That, I think, is the area to work on hmm. without telling them they're totally depraved and corrupt at the beginning. Yeah, I probably wouldn't lead with it. I probably wouldn't lead with no. um I think that the person of Jesus is the yeah. entry point yeah. for any... Um, yeah. Work of evangelization, yeah. um, leading people yeah. to God. It, it's interesting. I mean, uh, I was in London a few weeks back, and you hear street preachers, maybe um, you know, different street preachers, and you think that can't be the gospel because he's shouting at the top of his lungs about heaven and hell. But then it makes me think, well, why would I? Why am I slightly ashamed of that? Um, because it's true. Um, but it's just the way that you present it. 
you know, the woman comes up to me a flyer saying heaven or hell. And I'm thinking, whoa. <laughs> but it's true. So there are moments where those moments that bring you, like, like awaken you to that sense of urgency. And yet, at the same time, again, colleagues, families, neighbors, it's, that wouldn't be the way I would go. It would normally be relationship and sharing Christ with them, sharing the Gospels, reading the Gospels with them. Um, that's why Saab and others, we love to promote speaking of reading the Gospels with other people. Um, that, yeah, sh- seeing eyewitness accounts of the Lord Jesus, what he has done, what that means for us. But not skipping over the hard parts either, um, because the hard parts are there for a reason too. Do you... I'm a, just think about a, a one-day-old baby. Uh-huh. So are, do you think we're born sinful and if you take a, a one day old baby for instance that dies yes what happens to that baby are they going to die in their sin good question it's a difficult question I know but that's Very the difficult. kind of thing that we might get asked Very by other people um, so there's a I mean you have to kind of work through what does it mean um, to be born in sin uh, born in equity, you know, the psalm, the psalmist David. At the same time, there's an element in uh, Corinthians speaks of uh, that our consciences uh, condemn us. And so, uh, in a sense, a newborn baby cannot be born with a conscience. Uh, in a sense, yes, but at the same time, you know, is, it, uh, is the baby actively defying the Lord at that moment? The Lord knows. Um, I would, you would like to think that in the Lord's mercy that he would save children like that. Because, you know, we, the Lord loves um, infants. He loves all those uh, children, even those in the womb. And, um, yeah, I suppose calling on the, the character of God, that we would see that, that we would see his, his mercy mm-hmm. to those who are merciless. Or, no, mercy to those who are vulnerable, I should say. So. Not an easy question, but thank you. Yes, Kathy. This isn't exactly a question, but it okay. kind of Is, it's okay. from home group that we had on Thursday. Okay. Um, with a nod to another pastor that I won't mention by name, Saab. Um, <laughs> with both of those issues, I think um, the two previous questions that I found really helpful. One is, uh, in addition to the character of Jesus, it's yeah. also very important when you're getting to talking to people to also display the character of God's holiness. Yeah. Um, because I think a lot of people like the nice, mild mm. Jesus who does things for us, and mm. and that's great. You know, he does. He's a brilliant, gentle Savior. But there's also the holiness of God that you can't shunt yeah. aside. So I think you're right in, in yeah. the, the not avoiding yeah. the, the hard things. Yeah. And... Similarly, part of God's character, as you just referred to, is is His goodness and His mm. perfection and His wisdom. Yeah. So that, because that question came up at home group as well about what mm. about babies yeah. and small children, or you could extend that to um, people who have um, maybe um, intellectual deficiencies or something like that. Yeah. Um, what do you do about that? And I think because there's not a verse that says, "Oh, well, this is what happened." We yeah. need to trust God's character of perfect wisdom, kindness, yeah. goodness, graciousness, yeah. 
and not jump to the conclusion that some would of saying, oh, well, if they've not professed Jesus as their Savior because they can't even talk yet, therefore yeah. they're condemned. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's in those, as you say, Kathy, there's not a specific verse that you could call on, but I think it is calling on the broad scope of Scripture and the character of God. Um, I think as well when you speak about the um, not just having small Jesus, but Lord, King, Almighty, um, it actually brings a lot of peace um, when you're sharing the gospel with people. So I'm thinking of First Peter 5. Humble yourselves, verse six, first Peter five, verse six and seven. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. So you have there the power of God, which brings peace to our anxieties. If you don't speak of the, you know, the Lord and His power and holiness, then you can't really speak about how He can give you peace and anxiety from your anxieties either. Um, so I think it's, it's it's speaking of all those things together. Thank you. Not that I'm a great theologian, but on this baby business, why do so many times? Um, isn't there where David, uh, after uh, in his repentance, he says mm. to God that um, about that he will uh, he my my son the baby will not come to me but mm. I will go to him yeah. and I've heard that often said that that's a, um, a kind of um, not a definite um, proof text for proof text or yeah. anything but there is that yeah. element but also I would just say aren't we all saved by grace Yeah. whether it's a day, ten years or a hundred and yeah. I don't know my own life I, I, I personally would just say that I think um, as mankind we have a uh, we don't have a, a a really serious grasp of sin yeah. i think we, we we make little well i'll say it to myself we can make very little of sin mm, yeah. and then when we remember um, isn't it that it cost god his son mm-hmm. um which i don't think this side of eternity will understand you know the champion of heaven his beloved son gave his life to save us from our sin. Yeah. So sin is pretty serious, isn't it? Yeah. And, and we're saved by grace, thank God. Yeah. Um, Indeed, yeah. And I, I think and in, I, in those things, you're calling on the grace of God, the mercy of God in those in those times. So. Um, on the subject of babies again, um, I would just say that there is a verse in the Old Testament, I can't remember exactly where it is, and it says, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Oh, yeah. 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 So, um, which, which calls on the good character of the Lord, ultimately. Yes. Yeah. So although babies are um, sinners by nature, they are, um, they have never yet willfully sinned. Yeah. Uh, and I think we have to trust in the nature and character of God who didn't create us to condemn us um, Mm. who loves us um, and you know if you read Psalm 139 is it where it says you knit me together in my mother's womb all the days ordained for me were written in my book sure Uh, before one of them came to be and I think we just have to trust that God 
loves people more than we do as well and we just have to trust him mm-hmm. and something we I think we always want an answer um, yeah. and sometimes we don't have a specific answer mm-hmm. but I think we can trust yeah. in the loving God yeah yeah I agree thanks for this evening Colin pleasure Mark how would you describe the change sorry how would you describe our relationship to sin <coughs> changes from when we aren't a Christian to mm. when we become a Christian say that again sorry just so I'm clear on it yeah how would you describe the relationship that we have to sin changes from when we weren't a Christian to when we are a Christian okay yeah, good question. I think uh, the element of um, the, um, the, I think about it in terms of power, the, we're no longer under the power or dominion of sin. We're not slaves to sin anymore. We're children of God, given the Holy Spirit to live um, uh, as his children in obedience to our Heavenly Father. So we're not enslaved to it, and yet we will still have, still have indwelling sin in us, and we see that every day, um, that we uh, don't want to sin because it grieves our Heavenly Father. We don't want to displease him because we love him, and he loves us, and yet we do sin against him. But we also have the power to resist it, um, uh, not to live perfect lives, not saying, not saying that, but uh, we do have the power of God to enable us to live for him whereas previously we didn't we just live for ourselves thanks right. I would say as well it gives us a, a, a taste you know you read the psalms the psalmist saying you know I love you Lord I love your word it, you know, it, it, the, that God by his spirit then gives us the, a taste for the things of the Lord uh, whereas previously we didn't have that Thank you uh, very, very much indeed. And uh, thank you also for, uh, for, for your questions. We're going to respond in song, but uh, let's just take a moment uh, uh, just to be still for a moment. Uh, I'll pray. I'll invite uh, the uh, music group to, uh, to come up uh, to close our service with a song. Heavenly Father, we... Uh, I do thank you for this, uh, this wonderful reminder of, uh, of the enormity of sin. And as uncomfortable as it is, uh, we thank you for uh, the reality uh, that it does separate us from you. But, but, because of your great love for us, you sent your son to live the life that we should have lived and then died the death that we deserve in our place. And as we were reminded this evening, that is no small thing. And so, Father, I pray that so we would continue to dwell uh, upon the enormity of sin and remind us afresh that it is the breaking, not of rules, but of our relationship with you. So stir our hearts, I pray. Make our consciences keen. Uh, might our desire be uh, to please you and to not live for the world. May the glory of the cross burn brightly in our hearts. 
And may the compass of our life point that way always as you work in our hearts by your spirit and through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. That does bring us uh, to the end of our service. I hope you found it uh, helpful. Uh, it's great that we've been able to engage on uh, a topic that is uh, quite large. And do continue to have those conversations. If you've got further questions, uh, please do uh, have a chat with uh, Colin, with Neil, or with me, or uh, with whoever you came along with uh, this evening. Uh, so let me just close with uh, some words that Paul wrote uh, to the church at Corinth. He closes uh, 2 Corinthians 13 uh, with these words. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.